an 8-bit Rocket Studios production. We are the forgotten generation, a misplaced slice of the 20th century when birth rates were as low as expectations for the future. We lived under the threat of constant nuclear annihilation, playing outside, but always inherently knowing the future was indoors. We are the second half of Generation X. We were some of the first to play video games, program home computers, and record CDs to cassette mixtapes. Our generation was nourished by New Wave, Imperfect Punk Rock, and John Hughes movies. We built Web 1.0 from the ground up using our childhood 8-bit and 16-bit programming skills. They call us Gen X. We prefer the vertical blank generation, where magic happens between the lines because that's where we live, love, and thrive. We are Generation Atari. Season 2, Episode 3 of Into the Vertical Blank, Generation Atari. The stories this time deal with wanting to work for, or with, or somehow in the realm of classic Atari. We had that dream, as many of you might have also. Even as that turned out to be impossible, at many places over our careers, we have tried to replicate at least a slice of of what we thought it would have been like to work for Atari in the golden age of engineering creativity. Select. Errata. Start. So here's the thing. Let's do first some updates from season two, episode one, which is about the disappearance of Charlie Chuck, which is really an episode about Atari's game Food Fight, one of my favorite games, and actually, I think your favorite game, Jeff, or at least one of my it's favorite in there, games. right? It's right in there. Okay, now wait a second. One thing. Let's talk about the music we just heard again, because... Oh, Tony Longworth, yes. So this is Tony Longworth's song called Into the Vertical Blank. And I've chosen a piece of it that fits for the beginning of our episodes. And how could we not? 
yeah, how could we not? It's really cool that he did that for us. Tony is off building free songs for lots of people right now, which is really cool. Um, but we're really happy to have been included in that. So let's talk about episode one, Food Fight. We heard back from Jonathan Hurd, our interviewee, the creator of Food Fight, of the Food Fight arcade game anyway. He wrote back to me and said, I finally had time to listen to this over the weekend, and it's amazing. I just wanted to read that again. It's amazing. <laughs> Thanks for doing it and including me. It's amazing. It's a good review. I like that review. Yeah, well, I like um, those type of reviews. But he also wrote back and mentioned that we wrote Charlie Chuck wrong. So we spelled it with I-E, and apparently it was always Charlie L-E-Y. I don't yeah. know how I missed that. You know what? I didn't have the I don't have the box to the 7800 version, and I must have just – and I have the instructions somewhere, but not the box. So I must have just missed it. So I updated the episode title to fix that with the L-E-Y. But then he also sent a Wikipedia link to a guy named Charlie Chuck saying maybe this is a reason why there was legal issues. And Charlie Chuck, if you open this Wikipedia link, Charlie Chuck is the stage name of British comedian David Keir. Interesting. So he was a musician. He was anyway. So he thought maybe that had something to do. It's possible if that's a, a name that's licensed or something. So that was updates for season two, episode one. We didn't really get any other feedback about that one. So um, season two, episode two, going, going, gone. The first one thing, just released last Friday. I want to apologize. So in the story I did about Sears, I originally recorded that last October. And between then and now, I've actually switched audio programs and microphones. And I could not for the life of me get the second part of it to sound the same. So that was just a really ugly splotch on that story. But um, Steve, I edited a lot of it editing. out. So. so Steve did a good job of editing it down to make it sound better as well as he could. We're going to try to not have audio quality problems like that in the future, but it happens. It's hard sometimes when you're editing stories. It's We're also recording hard. in multiple locations. I don't always have, like right now we are recording on a conference call. Sometimes we record together at a blue ball mic which is actually an awesome mic and sometimes i record on my own in various locations steve does on his cell phone or wherever we are so the audio is going to be different and it's hard to keep the quality exactly the same so for episode s2e2 season two episode two going going gone the first thing i want to say is within the first two seconds there's a mistake it should be 1992 not 1982 for ross perot jeff says that's my fault because i wrote down 1993 well, I'm not saying it's your fault. What I'm saying is I said 1992 over and over again because you had written down 1993. And I knew it wasn't 93 because that's the actual date that Clinton went in office. You know, yeah. You were so when I said it for the 25th time trying to record it, I said 1982 accidentally. Um, I would say that, that, well, I probably wouldn't have voted for Ross Perot now. I still have a soft spot heart for Ross Perot for some reason. I yeah. And the, uh, <laughs> what was the name of his book? And the um in the movie where he went to Iran and and oh the uh, where eagles dare where eagles dare yeah yeah should it's, read it's that cool book. I would I you know I, f I feel weird about that now but um, me too but it the was time, the 90s though as far as the, for the fun factory the first thing that was a mistake I think the episode is called surprise box those boxes are not called surprise boxes or bags or anything it's a grab box 
Um, <laughs> I don't know why I changed the name in the episode. It goes by eight different names. So That's I have a memory of those that I didn't get to talk about on that. Was it's not really run down. I mean, it's a nice area. Um, the only bad thing about the entire pier is sort of the section with this weird arcade. I used to work in those offices when I was when I had I was working with John Santos at Producto Studios, and we would do websites and flash games and things like that for clients. And um, one of the first days of me working there, one of the first Fridays, I invited my wife and boys. And at the time, so it's it's 2012. I, I'm thinking, yeah, 2012. No, no, I worked there with you guys in 2012. So this okay, is 2013 so or 2013. 2013. So it's 2013. So Ryan is roughly eight years old. And Justin's like four. So they're pretty young. And I took them down to the arcade and they got really excited because to them it was like Chuck E. Cheese getting the tickets and they each got a grab box. Oh no. <laughs> we brought it excitedly back up to there's an El Torito there. The plan was to go to the arcade down there and go to El Torito at where daddy's new job is at the pier. So we did all that. It just was really disappointing. And the grab box, the boys just, they thought it was really gross. Yeah, so yeah, the grab boxes are weird. You need to know what you're getting into. Like my suggestion for people who live here in Southern California is to go because it's interesting. But you need to know what you're getting yourself into when you go. Okay. That most of the games you will lose your actual physical quarters in. And that the grab boxes are amazingly bizarre. And that's all. So the other thing I want to say is in the episode, we get really confused because it says you get tickets, but they're also tokens, but the tokens don't go in the games. The tokens are also redeemable for prizes. And the exchange rate between tokens and tickets is 25 is twenty-five to one. So 25 tickets to one token. I think you win the tokens in those quarter scraping games because there's no way they would let you win quarters from them. I see but I don't saying. know because I couldn't play I wouldn't play them long enough to see what I won because they looked like they were a total ripoff. Okay, oh. for the Sears episode, you did you did an update on that. I want to say so I think you conflated in that story JJ Newberry yep. and Sears. So I think Sears, the actual games were in the basement. At JJ Newberry, that's where the smoking dog, like the machine with the novelties, including the smoking dog, were on. So that story was written in October, and since then, I didn't want to change it because it flowed fine. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't the greatest story in the world, but but yeah, I remembered that JJ Newberry had the smoking dog, and it was actually at that exact one, that machine was at the um, where the South Bay Galleria is now, not where the Sears is. Two different malls. Yes. Phil, those machines did exist, and Dad would never buy a smoking dog for me. No, he wouldn't. Mom let us get – I think it was 75 cents, and we were able to get one at least a couple times. And literally, there were like cigarettes that the dog would smoke. I mean, there was something in there that would slowly burn, probably yeah. corn silk or something. Definitely not something that you would see now. No. No. So I also want to say it probably took place in 1979 or 1980, not 77, because I don't think Space War was out by then. Yeah, I just I just picked a date. I picked but it a was, date that I, sounded like you and I would have been would have been hanging out in the back of the um, yeah. wagon. Well, that happened, but I think the actual playing of the game happened later. And then we probably didn't call Dad Daddy at the time. We probably called him Dad or Dude. I remember it was Dude or Dude. Um, in, yeah, in 70, up to like 76, 77, it was daddy. And then probably 79, it was like pop or dad. He used to say, and this is just for pure nostalgic purposes. He wanted us every single night to go out and practice our soccer kicks with different sides of the feet. 
I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. Different sizes size of, of the feet. feet and both feet against the wall because he, he learned by watching. What do you mean by different, si- oh, different sides Inside, of the Inside, outside. I thought you said inside. sizes of feet. I'm like, oh, how on different earth? Different sides of the feet. Yeah. Sides. Yes, yeah, sides. And then he would actually take us for some reason, instead of doing it against the garage, he would take us to various schools around the neighborhood when we should have been doing our homework and make us do our soccer game. <laughs> you know, us playing soccer. And there's one time where we, where he said, I wish you would just say, okay, Pop, I'll do that. Because, and this is the first time he had ever called himself Pop. And so when he got older, I would call him Pop because that's what he wanted us to call uh, him. Ah, yeah, I like that. But at that point, we called him Dad. We didn't call him, anyway. So I just want to say that's where Pop came from. It wasn't um, people. A lot of people call their grandfather Pop. We never had that chance. Or Pop Pop or something. Pop Pop. But, but he, he wanted to be called Pop. He wanted. He wanted. It was just like yeah. He yeah we didn't have the chance. We never actually addressed our grandfather. <laughs> no, no, he was not someone that you would talk to. Yeah. And Mom's dad was was even in the picture. So uh, we yeah. met him once. So about Straw Hat Pizza, the last story. There are Straw Hat pizzas that still exist. Independent, independent Straw Hats and Shakies that still exist. They're just it's just not the same. And the one near us is gone for good. And it did transition into a gross pizza hut and then into Mongolian barbecue, like in the story. Well, at least Mongolian barbecue is like incredible. In, yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing, but there are no happen. there are no arcade games or penny horse rides or movies. Or no, anything. but imagine if they did have a penny horse ride or a silent movies playing in the Mongolian barbecue. They have silent but, Laker games. It would make that line go a lot shorter. Anyway, yeah. All right. So for photos, I posted some photos. I posted a bunch of photos from Fun Factory onto Facebook and Twitter and to the website. A, fo- a picture of birthday invitation for Straw Hat from 1979 and then a picture of my signed autograph photo of O.J. Simpson from 1980 where he addresses me as my pal Steve because of course our soccer coach got O.J. to address all of those signed photos directly to the people who won the prizes which I think is a pretty amazing yeah that's an amazing photo Um, (laughs) I remember the velour it's not velour oh that's the other thing it was terry cloth not velour I don't know why I said velour I mean, there's a fine line between terry cloth and velour, but it was definitely terry cloth. That is very 70s. Let's just say that it looked like something you would wear with with a white beater and chest hair. Any fictionalized, organized crime from the 70s, 80s. Yeah, but I loved it. It was dark blue and like tan. And I must have worn it. I wore it till it was bare. I was so excited about my OJ. I was really jealous of that sweatsuit, by the way. So. Well, there's no way mom could have bought you one. I was the only one who could ever get one. Because- yeah, no, that was that was like a $300 sweatsuit. Select story mode. Start. If I won the lottery, I mean like a hundred million dollar lottery, I would open an Atari store.
It would be in some kind of upscale mall or location like downtown Disney, Universal CityWalk, the Beverly Center, the Grove, downtown San Francisco, or Times Square. The store would act just like everything from Atari was still available, brand new, and was just recently released. I'd buy up as many mint condition products as possible, home brews, or whatever I could find. They would sell for list price. If they did not sell, so what? I won a hundred million dollar lottery. I'd also try to get some of the original hardware and games remanufactured to classic specifications using classic technology. Why? Just because I could. If I owned an Atari store, I'd commission new games for old systems to be programmed by the original programmers who made them the first time around. I'd also set up Atari systems and let anyone play when they came in. Atari consoles, Atari computers, Atari arcade games, even an Atari pinball machine or two. I'd hire a bunch of young people wearing Atari t-shirts and they'd be called nerds, Atari nerds, that can answer all your Atari questions. I would open a dark ride themed to Atari in the back of the store. You would enter a spinning hot tub and dodge venture capitalists, Warner Brothers executives, patent lawsuits, and finally escape the crash of the video game industry and make it out alive. If I owned an Atari store, I'd work there full time. I'd sit behind my desk, a wood grained tube TV with a 2600 playing combat attached. I would not answer any questions. That's what the nerds are for. Instead, I'd work behind my desk full time. I'd be programming all day long, building a magnum opus 8-bit RPG that might never be finished. Why would it never be finished? Because I won a hundred million dollar lottery and I own an Atari store with games and a dark ride dedicated to Atari. If there are any profits from my Atari store, I'd use them to form a new company. Dangerous Playgrounds for Dangerous Kids. We would design playgrounds filled with 70s style playground equipment made with metal bars, ropes, tires, and sand. Play equipment would spin and shake and move in seemingly dangerous ways. There would be giant sand hills, merry-go-rounds, multiple tire swings connected with chains and bolts in a giant circle, drop-off metal slides with metal rollers, and rockets to climb 50 feet in the air. All the parents would be far away, sitting on benches, knitting, or smoking, and reading books and newspapers. You could play in our playgrounds without sunscreen and with or without shoes. Food with granulated sugar, gluten, lactose, peanuts, and red dye number five would be allowed, no questions asked. And every kid would be vaccinated, because that's the way we like it. Each playground would have areas to play games like tag, ditchum, socko, handball, butts up, kick the can, and dodgeball, grocery store, cap gun, plastic disc and plastic pellet gun arenas would be available but would be so popular you'd need a reservation. There'd be street lights on the playgrounds and when they came on it'd be time to go home. Home to play Atari. Feedback. Start. So here's some Facebook comments about S2E2 uh, going, going, gone. Nick Hayes. Hey, that was a great listen. The pizza parlor segment especially. It really resonated. It's sad to realize that those days are gone. Thanks for the memories. 
Ian Matthews story episodes are the best episodes because I think I call this episode a story episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then Mike Starner. Okay, I'm in. I can totally relate. Miss the old South Bay pizza places, video game places, record stores, etc. So that was cool. We got some some pretty good comments this time, which you don't usually get. But if anybody feels like commenting, please do, and we'll read them. The photos that you put up are reminding me that we should probably do two things have an Instagram account for this because I was thinking about Instagram. animal. What Jeff? Facebook's a dying animal. There's two places where people are, are, are congregating right now and they're not Twitter or Facebook. Okay? I know that sucks. Cause that's our main places to go. Well, Twitter's fine. People do congregate there. Like besides the really bad message boards that I'm not even going to name on here, people congregate and make communities on both YouTube which is really interesting. I, yeah. I didn't really know this, but now I've, I've seen some interesting ones. Also do it on Instagram. So we may want to start up the Angel of the Vertical Blank YouTube channel where we do videos of the episodes or just video to go along with the episodes. Select podcast response. Start. Yeah. Okay. Let's get on to your, you collected a bunch of responses. That was feedback. That was feedback. Here's feedback. Response feedback you know how and one thing about that is the first part of response is this that's fixes in feedback actually that's a big the word feedback it has been quite a few months since ferg has had a podcast i know that he was speeding up and doing like one every couple weeks and and i think he got really really tired I mean, we're doing one a week now, so we're going to freaking burn out, too. Yeah, we're not. We're not it'll, it'll stop. We're going to have to slow down. It'll slow down. But, Ferg, um, we want you back, and um, we, uh, we know you're tired, and whenever you want to come back is great. And um, it is, burnout is easy to do with these because it's just purely for entertainment purposes. I mean, yeah, you're running. I mean, you're creating these things, you know, for the love of it. And you're hoping you're doing good work and it's hard to really reach a lot of people and you have to really figure out like, what's your reason for doing it? I know the reason why we do the podcast and it doesn't have a lot to do with getting feedback. So right. although it's right. cool to get it. I love to get feedback. I want more feedback. Just every podcast does. And that's a good one to start with, which is William Pepper, who does the, he's Bill, Bill Pepper. He does a bunch of podcasts. He does one on, it's a podcast, Charlie Brown, and he does Atari uh-huh. Bytes. I was listening to his podcast yesterday about the Intellivision game Dark Cavern. He made a book of all the stories that he does about Atari Twenty Six Hundred games. Oh, that's cool! And he's gonna—it's going to be available to purchase. And his stories are really funny. Last weekend, when I was had to do a bunch of yard work, so I got down on my hands and knees to pick up weeds out of our decompressed granite. That's the brown stuff that's in our front yard. Anyway, and I was listening to a Strawberry Shortcake episode, and it's hilarious because the Strawberry Shortcake game is just awful. Um, <laughs> Excuse but, me. But I, I had a funny, I had a funny thing about that. I remembered only then, as we we're doing it, why I had I was on the ground on my hands and knees, listening to Mr. Pepper talk about you know Strawberry Shortcake game, trying to get his kids to play, and they didn't want to play it. Um, people should listen to the episode of the Having because all of his episodes are funny. And I remembered that I had a boxed copy, and I was remembering back to when, like 2012. There wasn't a lot of Atari content. Let's put it this way: I couldn't find Atari content easily on the internet. No, somebody because on our website I did a tutorial on making Atari 7800 asteroids in uh, Asteroid Script Three, and 
somehow because of our website and apitrocket.com, this guy approached me and said, I have a script about my friend and I trying to get an Atari for Christmas. And we're trying to do a Patreon for this and we need- The movie was named Christmas Bites, by the way. It was and called- And he sent us the script that we read, which is actually pretty funny. It was pretty good. And he said, would you, a woman do a Patreon and would you, would you want to do something for it? And I said, how about if I contribute uh, HTML5 game that is like adventure and you're trying to get, you'll follow through the movie trying to do the things you need to do in the movie and eventually you will get the Atari 2600 for Christmas. So I wrote this giant, to me, game engine in HTML5 and I still have it. Um, so I may put it up somewhere for people to download and mess with because it, it's documented. It allows you to create rooms and barriers and like sort of, you could add to it. It's just not done, but it allows you. There's a there's a section where you there's pits that you can fly up pits, in, yeah. like a like an ET. Like, I mean, it's a bunch of stuff like that um, that I put in there, and that reminded me of, of where where I got the game. He because I created that and sent him a version and talked to him about it. He sent me he sent me the CIB Strawberry Shortcake. So that's why I have that game CIB right here. Anyway, so um, that was yet another early on Atari. Someone trying to do an Atari movie. Yeah, no, I mean, it might do better now. I don't think you found the right audience at the time. But also doing something on, was it Indiegogo or Kickstarter or whatever? At the it time? It wasn't the right time. Anyway, let's go on to the next one. I, that one still kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Let's go on to the, the other podcast that I listened to while I was doing the yard work, which was the uh-huh. LXE podcast last week. They lumped together a few different games and... Two of them they put together were Ghostbusters for the Atari, you know, 800. We had that. And also they had Seven Cities of Gold. Now, Ghostbusters, I remember downloading. There was no place to buy it. Yeah, that's um, David Crane's game, right? Yeah, we downloaded it because, sorry, David, there was no place to buy Atari 800 games around here at the time. Yeah, I enjoyed it. And I remember, I don't know if you can play two players or not, but you had to switch between guys and, and not cross the streams, and you had to have a vacuum to vacuum ghosts while you're driving. And it was, I have good memories of that game. And they actually play for score. So they play the game and they see which one can get the higher score. Anyway, it was pretty funny. They, um, they did a good job with that one. But they also talked about Seven Cities of Gold. Yeah, I have a lot to say about Seven Cities of Gold. Well, go for uh, it. We probably need a whole episode, episode about Seven Cities about of Gold. Like that, or a story about that. So Seven Cities of Gold I love because it's a Danny Button game. But Seven Cities of Gold is from an era where – how do I say this? I think Danny Button was trying to make a comment on Western Expansion or Manifest Destiny in that yeah. game. But it's a little, still a little gruesome. I mean, I know, I remember like there were times when you would just wipe out the entire tribe of people that were there. It's hard for me to reconcile that game. And it, there's nothing gleeful about it, I don't think, in the game wise, but it's hard to reconcile playing that in the 80s with the times we're now. But it still was a really good game. Like, technically, it could create a land, you know, a brand new game for you every time, dynamically, like procedurally generated land and everything. It was great. It's just hard for me to reconcile it with what I know now from what I knew when I was, like, 14. So remember where you could do some sort of magic? And you would, like, wow them with magic or something. Okay, so I always thought it was, like, a flashlight or, like, a compass or something like that. Probably not a flashlight since it was... Not a flashlight, but something. A compass or... Um, but in 
You're right. It wasn't a flashlight or a torch for the the Brits. In the episode, they mentioned that it was you taking off your clothes. I really because you were a white man or they hadn't seen a white man before. Now, oh, I don't know if that's true or not, but if it was, that's awesome. I think it might be funny what they were maybe trying to say Maybe you looked there. like, maybe the sprite looked like it, when it flicked, flashed, it looked like maybe you're, you weren't wearing clothes. Anymore. I don't remember that at all. That's weird. I played that game to death. So Five Factory Podcast did a, an episode just about the Atari ST and Amiga. Oh, okay. And I okay. haven't got through the whole thing yet. One of the hosts, Sean, had an Amiga, and the other host had an Atari ST. And I think Sean had an Amiga way, really late because it was Amiga 1200. And so he was talking about having 256 colors and things like that. And really, that was closer to the Atari Falcons. So, And Jim had Atari ST. But Jim had like an early Atari ST. So they're talking about apples and oranges. Like Sean saying, yeah, there was... There were 16 colors, and and I mean, uh, Jim saying there's 16 colors, and Sean saying, mine had 256. Well, he had 256 colors because he had the Mega 1200, which is akin to the Falcon. Jim had a 520ST, which was, which I compared the, the 1040ST and the Amiga 1000 when they came out, were akin to the Atari 800, which was like the Amiga, and the Apple IIe, which would have been like the Atari ST, right? It did a lot of stuff good, but it could never match if they were power to power. When the Atari STE came out, and it was the 520 STE was going head to head with the Amiga 500. It should have been a closer battle. Here's the thing. Usually with those platforms back in the 80s, not like now where everything gets upgraded and it's, yeah. it's cool. And, and soon there will be no hardware platforms because it's all going to be streamed from a server. That is correct. Uh, which, by the way, also the Google Stadia. Oh, we should talk about that. But anyway, yeah, the, it also gets rid of cheating. But I mean, back then you really went with the first release of the consoles, really the power. Like, I don't care about upgrades after that. If you can't use it on the bog standard Carter that came out, you know, if I have to buy upgrades or a different version or stuff, I just don't agree. You are correct. And so the, th the reason the, this bog standard Amiga 500 and 1000 that came out would have been always at least as good or better than the best Atari. It has to be. It's got, it's got so eight times as many colors with, I think, well, 32 on the screen at once, right? Yeah, and, in some modes. And, and, um, and, and, and you've got a blitter chip. I mean, it's going to be better so, no matter what. Well... Of course. What I'm saying is, when the ST, even when the STE came out, it was already behind the curve because it couldn't catch up with sales and people. Even if the machine is fantastic, I have one. It is freaking awesome. And there are ways to get those games that have background colors of 32 background colors and 16 colors in the foreground. They figured out how to do all kinds of stuff, but it's still it just was too little. Too I mean, the Tremelatari was lucky with the ST because they, for some reason, added a MIDI port, so MIDI support. And the other thing was that Same operating way. system loaded from from ROM and you didn't need any sort of like jump start or boot or whatever that cartridge is. Like the Amiga had a problem loading so, its OS. So out of the gate, it had those things built in, which meant that that was the advantages they had. But the audiovisual disadvantages were the problem, but there were some like user experience advantages. Aside from Atari podcast, I still want to try to talk about other podcasts we listen yes. to. I think the most interesting one was the last Reply All, where they talked about the Momo panic, that weird bird character that people supposedly insert into YouTube kids' videos to tell kids to commit suicide or something. 
I think they figured out that that was an urban legend or falls into the urban legend category. But that brought up something, and that's a, that's a really good episode. But I want to ask you a question. Maybe anyone who listens to this can chime in or give us feedback. Do urban legends actually exist anymore? Because of the internet and social media, can there be urban legends? Urban legends like the, the urban legends we used to have. Like in the middle of the night, someone takes out someone's kidney and leaves them in the bath of ice or some, something like that. Those types of urban legends. That's uh, a good question. I think that there are so many YouTube channels out there now that just they need content that they, they, don't, they pick through that stuff all the time and they don't call them urban legends. They call them freaky things that happened, right? Yeah, I, they, think, <laughs> I think that it's another one of those things that we're blessed with from growing up in the 70s and 80s. We had the ability to have this imaginative life outside of it compounding us on a daily basis. Right. And so we're like, I don't know why people tie tennis shoes together and throw them around um, telephone wires, but I can imagine what it might be, stuff like that. And I think that you being able to get an instant answer to those things, while it's amazing, no time for you to sit in the grass under the sun and sort of ponder. Now you sit on the grass and you look it up on your phone. Yeah, Um, yeah. And I kind of think that sitting on the grass outside, listening to like the airplanes fly over, as you in the middle of the day when you've got nothing to do and you're sort of like thinking about these weird questions. I think that's really important. Yeah, that was an important time. I especially say at college sitting on the grass for like three hours reading classes, doing nothing. And when oh, yeah. we, we had no yeah, playing gin yeah. rummy instead of instead of studying, we never went to the library, by the way. I just want to bring that up. Yeah, I don't know why. Because the library was weird. Anyway, we should have. I don't know why, why we never went to the library. There were punk rock girls walking around. That's right. Okay. Anyway, um, so uh, one thing I want to mention also is that on the same in the same vein of Reply All, but really just Reply All does this much better. But Cracked does its own thing. Oh, I, I love Cracked Podcast. Yeah. yeah, Cracked is awesome. It does what you're saying. It picks out all these little, and sometimes it's funny because the the people that are doing it are so young. I mean, they're like in their 30, 20s and 30s, right? To me, that's really young, right? Because because it is. But so they, I've heard of things before that they have no idea, or they pronounce things wrong that to us should would be readily like pronounceable. But they just haven't heard of them before, and it's so. Do I find it quaint? I don't know, but it's funny. I, do, I find it quaint. I like listening to it. I'm not oh. really mad at them about it. No, right? me either. I don't want to. Re- I don't want to like say, "Hey, that's pronounced blah blah." I just, I think it's great that they find these topics so interesting that maybe I've heard of before, but they also always add like really funny and lists and things. So it's good. Oh yeah. No, there was one I was listening to where they were talking about when movies came out and they couldn't figure out when ET came out, like ET came out in 1982, but they're like, they couldn't figure out if ET had come out before Mac and me or something. And I'm like, come on, come on. This is really easy to look up. I can't believe you haven't even done it, but I found it kind of fun, funny. Like, cause I know those, you know, dates right. they're, they're like etched in. Well, I work at a video store, so I know exactly when Mac and me. <laughs> Select story mode. Start. I was an Atari kid, an Atari freak, as my dad called Steve and I. Back when I was nine until I was about 14 years old, the only career I could imagine myself doing was working for Atari, or making Atari games, or making Atari hardware, or writing Atari computer games, anything Atari related. But when Atari Consumer Division imploded, and Atari games was sold off, that dream became an impossible goal. But throughout my career, I've tried to create the Atari atmosphere as much as possible wherever I managed people or worked. Obviously, 
marijuana-fueled hot tub parties were out of the question, but I've always tried to make the departments I've managed all about creativity and people first, with administration and convoluted processes a distant second. But for the first 15 years of my software development career, I only dabbled in games as a hobby or a moonlighting activity. As a manager, I would sometimes assign myself to be the developer of child-focused website activities and some small games while working for a large toy company. But I never felt like I was part of that ethereal thing called the games industry. One day in late 2010, I decided to join the game industry outright. There were many burgeoning Silicon Valley-based mobile and web-based companies that were quickly taking over the market, and I decided to join one. But to say it was a mistake would be a huge understatement. These companies were nothing like the Atari I had heard about. In 2011, I quit that job at the game company because it was nowhere near what I thought it was going to be. It certainly was not what I envisioned Atari would have been like. This game company threw hundreds of developers, broken up into pods of five or six each, into one huge room. Then, they basically made each developer fight their way out of the room, wielding code and hiding knowledge and secrets from one another until only a few survived. It was so competitive and so backstabbingly ugly that I almost gave up making games altogether. So toxic was this manner of working and fighting to get recognition for a company and a product that I didn't believe in anyway that one day I just told them goodbye. I packed up the car and I took the kids and wife on a vacation and came back to finally get a chance to mourn the loss of my father. He had died in the midst of my struggles to get a foothold in that game company. And that was pretty much the last straw. Luckily, as soon as I quit that terrible game job, I was able to take up as VP of technology at a small company run by a friend of mine. It was not easy, but we eked out a pile of nice games, websites, and mobile apps for various companies. I tried as hard as I could to make our small office as close to an Atari experience as possible. We had a huge asteroids mural painted on the back wall of the office, and I also brought in Steve's Atari 800 with his load of game carts and placed it right next to the Mac Mini that was used to build out our iOS apps. Was it Atari? No. Was it fun and filled with the chance to apply creative engineering to all of my projects? Yes, it certainly was. This was as close as I thought I was going to get to an original mid-70s Atari culture. At least, I thought it was. Then something magical happened. In March of 2012, I was approached by a pretty famous playwright named Brett Neveu. N-E-V-E-U, just in case I'm saying it improperly. He had a script they had written called Atari Christmas. He wanted to make a film of this using one of the new funding sites like Kickstarter. The name of the film was quickly changed from Atari Christmas to Christmas Bites, B-Y-T-E-S. Ian Bogus, the author of Racing the Beam, was going to be contributing a copy of his book 
and Brett asked if I'd like to contribute anything to help the cause. I decided that I would write an HTML5 game that would be given away as a premium for people to help fund the movie. The game was designed to run off a CD-ROM, but it was essentially an HTML5 browser game. This was early for HTML5, but since Steve and I had just finished the second edition of our O'Reilly HTML5 Canvas book, I was ready to put those skills to the test with a real game for basically Atari. No, it wasn't for Atari, but it was for Atari, meaning it was going to be a VCS-inspired look-and-feel game that would help someone else reach their dream of making a movie about getting an Atari 2600. To me, that was about as close as I would ever get. In the game I made, you must take your adventure-style dot square through a pixelated version of the movie's story which was sort of a Ferris Bueller meets 16 Candles meets Fast Times at Ridgemont High style PG-13 80s inspired comedy. Between my work projects, I worked tirelessly on the game engine, graphics, and level design, and some basic physics and other elements of the game. I sent Brett a copy of the alpha version, and he was so pleased with it that he sent me a complete inbox version of an Atari 2600 game. Strawberry Shortcake. This was before I really started collecting Atari games again. It's probably the main reason that I did start collecting. I worked even harder on the game, making a room engine that could be built via XML and JSON. I added inventory engine and ET adventure and pitfall style screens. Brett then added it to the Kickstarter page. This is what it said. For a pledge of $20 or more, you get two digital downloads, an 8-bit game plus a PDF of the script, a digital download of the Christmas Bites 8-bit game called VGS 8200 Christmas Quest, developed and created by the excellent folks at 8-Bit Rocket. That was Steve and I. And featuring original music by 8-Bit Weapon and Computer, plus an excellent PDF of the script. That was cool, wasn't it? If that was not working for the old Atari, then it was for Atari as an entity, an idea, as a generation of kids who also wanted to make games just like I did. But what happened? Where is this magical film? Well, you've never heard of Christmas Bites, have you? The Kickstarter never got funded, but you can search Atari Bytes Kickstarter and still find the old page, like a lost relic of Oak Island. There's no gold in that cursed pirate Atari money pit, but it sure was fun trying to dig my way through. And what about my VP position, doing things my way? Well, that turned out to be a deadpan also. The good game work dried up for our small independent company, and I found myself more and more doing simple CSS-based movie websites. And after a few years, I moved on and have not made a game since. And that was it for me and the current games industry. I even forgot about the game, the film, the Kickstarter entirely until I heard the Atari Bytes, not related, podcast about the Strawberry Shortcake game. Right as I was on my hands and knees, pulling weeds in my front yard, listening to XLXE and Atari Bytes, the memories of that came flooding back. Those days are gone, but we're right here, making Atari happen in one way or another, every day. Atari is an attitude, 
Atari is now. Atari is then. Why work for Atari or try to make a job like Atari when I can have Atari every day I step into the vertical blank? Select. Watching. Playing. Reading. Doing. Start. Watching. So I saw Behind the Curve on Netflix. And it's a, it's a documentary about movie? the Flat Earth people. It goes along with um, a little bit with Atari Bytes. Isn't the, that, I mean, I paper. heard the Flat Earth thing years ago was yeah. a troll. It's, right? it's, it's not, it's a troll. It's big all over the internet now. This is off a little bit, but I found a small group of armchair scientists and a small group of non-scientists that fight it out on a weekly basis on <laughs> YouTube. Between flat Earth and not and globe Earth, so so the flat Earth people call the globe people globers, and then I'm going to use this word. I'm only going to say this because it's what they call them, but they're called flat tards anyway. <laughs> the the globers call the flat for the flat tards. Now I don't approve of using that word, but I'm just saying. So anyway. hey, I remember from this is ten or fifteen years ago, hearing that the whole original flat Earth thing was a huge troll joke. So people tried to come up with like actual scientists had as a joke tried to come up with scientific explanations for something because at the time that was like something to do. The problem is now we have so many people that are low I don't want to say IQ, just don't low low information people who actually take this stuff for real. There's also it doesn't a, work anyway. You can't do it anymore. You can't even have a funny joke without idiots picking up on it and making it real. So there, I'm, I don't know that his name, and I don't want to give him any publicity because he seems like kind of a jerk when he's on there, but I'm just going to say it. There's a comedian out there who says that part of his act was creating the entire vocabulary that they use, and it's all been stolen from him. Yeah, it's, it's, there's it's, something in but, there. I think what would be, be interesting is a movie about the creation of the flat earth myth. Okay, that, that is, that movie so is a, you'll get some of that on the Netflix documentary Behind the Curve. But okay. for the last month, while I've been listening, listening, going into these like live chats and debates and, you know, listening to what they say. And now I have a couple of people to follow, a couple of science people that are really funny. Um, in Behind the Curve, Logan Paul, one of those super, his, his brother, Jake Paul. Yeah, you, those Logan, YouTube giant YouTube celebrities. And I never w- watched one iota of what they did. But in Behind the Curve, Logan Paul shows up in part of it. And they just have a little bit of them there getting up a stage and saying, I believe in the flat earth. Nothing, you hear nothing else about that from anyone. That last Friday, his hour-long documentary on the flat earth arrives. And it is the funniest thing I've ever seen on the internet. It is, is it really? It, I don't want to give it away. Well, I'm going to give it away. Anyone who hasn't seen it, here's spoilers. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch it. Don't give it away. I'm not giving it away. But he does. It is one of the funny, you have to even watch the credits are funny. So you have so, to watch it. I watched it and it was like, it is hilarious. So honestly. here's the thing I'll say about, you know, related. There's one of, one of my kids showed me this guy named Jarvis who does YouTube reviews. He's like a, a programmer who quit. He's like probably in his 20s. He quit to do YouTube stuff exclusively. He's absolutely hilarious. Jarvis is a great one. Jarvis? Uh, yeah, There's a lot of them. I also am, am partial to Bill Oakley, his fast food reviews on in, in Instagram. He's a, a Simpsons writer who does okay, I'll, that. I'll shout out two people that are, that are just – they're two British dudes. Okay, One guy's name is Conspiracy Cats with a C-A-T-Z. 
and he is he's he's a scientist and he just is hilarious every he does a flat earth friday i think i forget exactly what it is he does really he's, actually he just dropped something today and this guy named Simon dan they both just do hilarious things about people who don't believe in vaccines and it's just it's funny anyway so also i just started the oa which was a really good first season that was really interesting second season just started on netflix and then there's a new thing on netflix the top 10 secrets and mysteries and it's actually more than 10 so there are like 15 episodes in each one they do 10 secrets and mysteries about a certain subject Amazon Prime has a bunch of 80s Chuck Norris movies, 70s and 80s Chuck Norris movies. Just watched Lone Wolf McQuaid again. I think the last time I saw it was when we saw it in the movie theater with Leslie Cruz, I think. Lone Wolf McQuaid is maybe the best movie ever made. I'd forgotten. That's all I have to say. It was it's amazing. Playing Steve, what you've been playing? I am playing one game kind of right now, Hypnospace Outlaw, which is for the PC on Steam. It is a game where you play in a alternative universe late 90s internet. You're a internet cop for the Hypnospace. It's kind of like an AOL, but it it only works in your dreams. So it's sort of a kind of dream world and your job is to go around and find privacy violations and <laughs> copyright violations and stuff like that. It's great. It's it's you, when you imagine the conceit is a little bit like a game like Hacker where it starts out where you have this job and then of course it goes in different directions like you weren't expecting. But it's really cool. And then I bought on a whim Ricky and Vicky for the 7800. I bought the physical copy with the box cuz I wanted the box, but I have not played it yet. So I figure someday you and I'll get together and sit down and play that. I to plan play to buy purchase the $60 version when I get paid next. I only buy things now on the day that I get paid so that I won't keep on spending money all the time. La- so on the last paycheck, I purchased actually the one before that, but I've had any time to talk about it. I purchased Animal Keeper for the Atari 8-bit computers. It's a version of Zookeeper put out by Video 61. So it's a new Atari 8-bit cartridge. It's done really well. There's two different modes. One, you you might remember the game you there's animals inside a brick pen and they they're starting to to break the bricks and you need to yeah. run around the pen and add bricks. Oh, I remember vividly, Jeff. When you get out, you got to jump over them. And then there's a second sort of Donkey Kong style level too. And they got both in and it's it's well made. I think it was $40. Comes with a really cool laminated instruction sheet. It's just fun. It's really good, really well made new game. And their stuff doesn't get very much press for certain because they make you pay for it. But I think it's silly because people are make you pay for cartridges all the time. So it's and I'm yeah, I've got the, I've got no problem. I mean, I, so I think you know on that note, that's a hard one because the Atari community or the golden age retro gaming community is about a lot of stuff being given away for free. You pretty much are expected to give away your ROMs for free, not the card cartridges, but the games themselves. I think in some ways that's because a lot of the times the games are of dubious license legal status because of licenses and stuff. I and agree. Sometimes they license they're actually licensed for real and sometimes they're not. But what I've noticed in other communities that's not the same. I just bought NES Maker or NES Maker, I guess you'd call it, after a two month ordeal of trying to get the activation code from those guys. I finally got it and it's a game maker like tool for building NES games. It really is a couple generations ahead of like a Beatari basic. Yeah, the visual not, B, visual Beatari basic. Yeah, visual VB, visual Beatari, but not that much. Not that much greater, right? Like like a little bit. Like they they offer tools, they offer some some other tools and stuff mostly because the NES is it's more intricate to program for, a lot more sprites and stuff. But 
it's not that much better. And they're charging like 40 bucks for it, maybe 29. But I think the difference is that there's a pressure in that golden age community to not charge anything, for people to not make money, for it to look legit. And I was nervous about this podcast, which you don't have enough listeners for anymore yet, but like advertising or anything, like I didn't want to do any of that because it's like, you can't look like you want to make a living or make money if you want to look legitimate in that community. It's just the way it is. It's just how it's been the whole time. And I think with other communities, they're freed up from that. And I don't know exactly what the reasoning is, you know, but I feel it too. Like I do feel like, it's not like I think it's weird. I kind of have that same feeling. Sometimes it seems like people are trying to make a buck when they shouldn't be. Well, I I see why Bosconian and Timepilot for the Atari 8-bit were given away for free because they are someone else's IP. Incredible games, by the way. But if they had changed it to uh, some Time other name, like, Warrior, yeah, and- <laughs> Time Warrior, and they used Draconian. Draconian, which, I think that's right. Well, the one for the Atari Twenty Six Hundred that I purchased in box EIB that is purchasable. Uh, but the other one, they're afraid of IP violations. I could see why. I, I will buy a cartridge of something good if someone puts I mean, something on a cartridge. Could even it. be a generational thing. I think that maybe some of the people who are doing the NES stuff, they don't care as much about copyright violations. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's, there's a, it used to be for a long time that NES game, like the homebrew NES games, and a lot of those games you get on those like 240 game console things. It's all an NES emulator running those games. There were sprite edited versions of other games. Someone right. would go and change out the sprites and make their own game, but it's essentially the same code. And there's a, there's a longer history of that type of homebrew from editing than we have. A lot of it from our side is stuff built from the ground up, or if it is edited, it's it's well known that it's an edited version. Clearly, half the games on those on those joysticks that have 50 games on them are edited versions of 1942 and three. Yeah, it's funny, but it's just a different, I'm not, no, neither one is good or bad. I suppose it's all down to you know, your perspective on it and what it is. So let's move on to reading, Steve. What are you reading? I'm reading a book called Everything I Know I Learned from the Twilight Zone, which is pretty good about the book about the Twilight Zone. And a book called Stingray Afternoons, which is like a 70s memoir from a guy named Steve Russian. It's really, really good. All right. Well, I haven't had any time for any pleasurable reading, not even any Atari ST or Atari 8-bit or 2600 programming book stuff and like that. Only reading about Headless Salesforce Commerce Cloud. That's the new (laughs) deal. I just received in the mail two things. One is an Antonio 4 megabyte board that goes in the Atari 800 XL. It allows you to have four megs, but you could also swap out the ROM so I can have OSB running in Atari 800 so I can play some of the cartridges that won't work and things like that. I haven't got it in yet, but it's like a non-solder thing, so it's perfect for me. And the other, the other non-solder upgrade I got, what I purchased was another a disk drive for this one for the Atari STE, and it is the GoTech drive. So I already have one in the Atari STFM, and this replaces the disk drive and allows you to use a USB stick in it. And the reason I'm doing that is I'm trying to clean up. Right now, I physically have an Atari ST and an Atari eight Atari one thirty XE or eight hundred at both my work desk and at my sort of entertainment desk that's out in the living room area. I'm trying to clean up this work desk, so I'm going to be moving the Atari STE out there, and that ha- that means it has to have be able to play all the, 
the disc images as well as the the Ultra Jesus um, hard drive games too. And then I'll be able to play it. Because right now I'm just, I I got too much stuff on this desk. You can reach us at um, at FultonBot on Twitter, uh, at 8BitRocket, that's Jeff, at Atari underscore VB underscore Paw. That's the most difficult one to remember. We have an intro to the vertical blank Facebook. And we also, the Atari History uh, Facebook that is run by the Retro Laird. You can get our podcast on there. 8BitRocket.com has some new things we post every once in a while and also our podcast. You also go to Castos and look for Into the Vertical Blank. And we have Soon ratings. Instagram and YouTube. Instagram, YouTube. Plan. Soon to be. Plan to be yeah. on Instagram and YouTube. And then you can also get podcasts also exists on other platforms that we didn't even like. Spotify. Uh, Spotify. Um, they put it on there, which is cool. I'd love to get on the Retro Junkies. The There's some other ones out there. They have these groups and I don't know how to get onto their little list of podcasts. I'm not yeah, sure. me either. I know that we have seven ratings and two reviews on Apple Podcasts and I'm, I'm hoping we can get to the end of the season. We get 20, 20 ratings and five reviews. That would be awesome. Yeah. As long as they're good. Yeah. <laughs> if you, yeah. If anything bad to say, email just will fix it before you do your review. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. That's it. All right. Uh, until next time, into the verbal cool. blank. All right. Cool. Select podcast ending mode. Start. Thanks for listening to season two, episode three of Into the Vertical Blank Generation Atari. Before you stop the podcast, be sure to listen to the little blooper remix that I cooked up for the occasion. Until next time. So this is Tony Long's song called Into the Vertical Blank. Is it playing underneath what we're talking about, too, or is that? It's amazing. <laughs> Recording right now. Podcast. Hopefully Jeff will fix this. He can edit out my pauses. Here. <laughs> Hi, this is, uh, this is, this is feedback. This is, exciting. this is, um, um, which is, uh, oh wait, yeah, <coughs> uh, I'm hoping that Jeff can clean all this up. I think you need to speak into your microphone, Jeff. I'm, I'm, I'm not, yeah, you are fading out right now. I'm, I'm wondering this if you can other, Well, this is blue ball mic, is it? blue ball mic, is it? blue ball mic, is it? um, it, like, did you hear, did, is this, is this what, is this what you're hearing? Now I can hear you better. Now I'm fine now. You're fine now. I don't know what the problem is. Um, maybe it I need, better now. need to buy new headphones. Just um, our soccer kicks with different sizes of the feet. I'm done going somewhere with it. Different sizes size of the feet? feet and both feet against the wall because he he learned by watching. What do you mean by different sizes? Oh, different sides of the feet. Inside, outside. I thought you said sizes of feet. I'm like, oh, how on different earth? Different sizes of the feet. Yeah, sides. Yeah, sides. And then and and then he would actually take us for some reason. Instead of doing it against um, wait a terry cloth, you mean because it's because it's like a it's, it's sort of like um like a mafia out and like yes. tracksuit. And, and I'm not giving I'm not talking about any one um, mafia. Style. Yeah, I would just delete all this. Well, <laughs> it did look. Uh, let's just say that it looked like something you would wear with with white beater. I'm hoping that Jeff will you know, clean all this up. I think you need to speak into your microphone, Jeff. I'm 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 not. Blue ball mic is it? Blue ball mic is it? Blue ball mic is it? Timeline of, of I mean, I would love to lay it out, and then here's what's going to happen, though. I'm going to lay it on the timeline, and then I'm going to like, well, I can't just lay it on the timeline. I have to add a bunch of stuff, and then I'll be obsessive about it, and then the episodes will never get launched. We'll be like, so, I need 20 more photos to add. And to then, me. and then photos. Why don't we just put them on Twitter like we already have? So let's just for now, let's do what we've been doing. The, the other, this is the thing. The bang for the buck is minimal. We're not going to get. I forget what it is. Now. 
He's doing another project. I know it's a book. He took a book. He made a book of all the stories that he does about Atari 2600 games. Oh, that's cool. And he's gonna, it's going to be available to purchase. And his stories are really fun. Um, so he had a, I know now from what I knew when I was like, you know, 14. Yeah, well, I mean, history is different. I mean, uh, well, we, what we know about what happened to the Incas, no one knows how they got wiped out. Yeah. Um, but interesting enough, it wasn't necessarily South America. I know it was creating a, a virtual world for you. One thing was not, in the, not the original version. The original version was North and South America. Oh, okay, okay. I'm sorry. So oh. that's why I say it. All right, let's move on because this, so, this, this um, podcast is, is too long. It's fun. See, people want okay, anyway, people want to hear about their episodes. That's why I'm putting. It. Okay, but here's the thing. Hey, I just got a, a message that says Robert. A summary of Robert Mueller's report is expected within an hour. So okay, well, the we monochrome high resolution. A lot of people just loved it for both media and MIDI and for desktop publishing. So for a while, they sold a lot of machines for that. Sure. Um, I'm. Ha- thank you for interrupting me. And then the other thing was that. Um, the operating system loaded from um, from ROM, and you didn't need any sort of like jump start or boot or whatever that cartridge is. Like the Amiga had a problem loading so, its OS. Yeah, the first first few did. Um, I'll say. What it. happened to Emily? Is Emily going to come in and be a podcast? She's going. She's going to. She's going to be introducing the beginning at the at the, mo- at the moment. Okay. I don't know. Because I like us doing the rata afterwards, like this. Yeah, I like this better. So the XCGS- Blue ball mic, which is blue ball mic, which is blue ball mic, which is um, it, like, did you hear? Did, is this is this what is this what you're hearing? Now I can hear you better now. Now I'm fine now. You're fine now. I don't know what the problem is. Um, maybe it I need, better now. need to buy new headphones now. Um, different sizes size of the feet. Different sizes size of the feet. Different sizes size of the feet. Use for that. Sure. I'm. Ha- thank you for interrupting me. And then the other thing was you for interrupting me. And then the other thing was you for interrupting me. And then the other thing was you had a problem loading. You had a problem loading. You had a problem loading. You're fine now. I don't know what the problem is. You're fine now. I don't know what the so problem is. This is Tony Long's song called "Into the Vertical Blank." Is it playing underneath what we're talking now too, or not? It's amazing. Into the vertical blank. Next frame calculated. Prepare to write new data. V blank ending. An 8-bit Rocket Studios production.